Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. Today's guest is Ryan Groth. Ryan's the CEO and founder of Sales Transformation Group. He's helped roofing companies and other contractors from around the country improve their technology capabilities and transform their sales organizations. Ryan first became involved in the contracting industry with his family and his teens is dedicated to helping contractors make the transition into real companies. Ryan is a professional baseball player, which has helped shape his work ethic and commitment to growth. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. Tats, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah, so I mean, I, I touched on a little bit with your background, but give me, a, give me sort of a, a more sort of in-depth look. Well, uh, I'm a married man with three children, one on the way, so love family, live in South Florida. Yeah, my parents are in the industry, and I, I witnessed what them as a business owner, they start, their life started to change. We, had, we went to cool vacations. We had <laughs> some time. I was like, man, this is great. I didn't see a lot of money growing up until that time in my family, so I was feeling excited about the growth and the potential of being part of that. The recession knocked them out, knocked out their marriage as well. Ooh. So to me, it helped me, it helped me to say, Hey, I want to do this differently. I want to do well professionally and, and start to hopefully build on what I was witnessing. And then hopefully I can do family well too. So those are two major focuses for me. And I don't have a whole lot else I focus on. I have some hobbies, but with three kids in a business, it starts to drown those out pretty quickly. <laughs> My hobbies are those things. And yeah, so I took uh, baseball, took a huge crack at it, overcame some, you know, walked on and took care of my own, paid for myself along the way with restaurants and working at restaurants as a waiter and a food runner. And eventually I got a scholarship and then got drafted and then went to Division One school in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Oral Roberts, played baseball there. And then got drafted again, played a few seasons. And it was just cool. I, I got to experience that. But more importantly, it showed me what would happen if you just gave it your best and, and didn't have any regrets. And I didn't have any regrets looking back. So as I wanted to start a family, I needed a way to make money. I was dabbling with some things. And then some mentors came along and got me connected. I ended up meeting a roofer in South Florida who's very entrepreneurial, incredible businessman, like guy's a rock star. And uh, he saw my hunger and he started mentoring me. I didn't work for his roofing company specifically. I worked for I worked with him and partnered up on a CRM program. So we started a rollout technology. I'm like, man, I know pipeline measurement and analytics and reports. I'm like, this all makes sense. It's like sports. He's like, exactly. He was a football player. And so it immediately made sense, the importance of a good process, a good system, measuring, and then having the athlete side, the people have the right focus on team and the right, right emphasis on on culture. And for me, all of that just made so much sense. But to be a part of what my mentor there, he shared and shaped, he was not a mom and pop. You know, I think that's the thing that really got me interested in working with him and learning was I witnessed somebody who was not a mom and pop. And I had seen that on a couple of occasions, including my parents, right? And I was like, man, this is awesome to see somebody be a professional businessman, entrepreneur who happens to 
be doing commercial roofing. And then when I learned that level of thinking, I was, I was like the canvas, like I've told him before, I was like, I was like the canvas I was ready to be painted on. And he was able to put his fingerprints on me for a little bit. And from there, I just was very resourceful and took all the knowledge I could and, and grew as much as I could and with him until it made sense for me to start my own thing. And so I I focused primarily on, on the roofing and all trades industry on, on building high performing sales organizations. And, And that's not just as simple as here's a sales process. There's a lot more variables to that, but that's, that's what I'm doing. And it's a lot of fun because I could see people grow and have the ability, the resources, the system, the things that are proven and the mindset that's proven to help them overcome all the fears and the unknowns and to build something that they're proud of, whether that's more time with family, whether that's become number one in the world or whatever the reason is. I love that being really proficient sales, marketing, service, and having a culture that attracts people that are high performers uh, to support that vision is very fun to watch. And I love seeing all the different companies have their own DNA and, and kind of come out uniquely. So having my contribution to that is what I'm all about right now. And we'll see where it goes. It's been fun. Yeah. I mean, you talked about sports. I played division one, but I did not, was nowhere close to attempting to play pro. Now tell me, I know a lot of athletes come out and do excel at sales. Why is that the case? I think there's a couple of reasons. One is they're used to working. They're used to the work. Like they know if I'm going to play well in the game, I got to put the reps in. And so with an athlete comes thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. In sales comes thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. So their muscles mentally are prepared to do whatever it takes. They know. And that's why I like high performers, especially in sports, because they know what it takes. And then secondly, there's a competitive drive. There's the team. They Hopefully, I like team sport people. I think individual sport players are great, like golf and tennis. <laughs> I mean, those are great sports, but they're not, they're not team sports. So they have to rely on others and be leaders and really create camaraderie. So I think those are very powerful. I also think that Here's what I love about, about sports and sales. You either win or you lose. <laughs> you're not, a, you're not, ever, not everybody's a winner and they all get a trophy. You, you didn't make the sale like the company didn't make the money. And like either you're not on the team or we had to let go of somebody or, or we're winning and we're able to reinvest that back into the growth of the company and continue to win. So I think winning and losing is <laughs> something that athletes are used to it. They lose or they win. And I think that people who haven't had to compete and like put their feet in between the lines and play don't know what it's like to, to win or to lose as much. And they have to, it's kind of ambiguous, but athletes know um, that if they define what winning and losing is, or the company's done that within a certain culture, it, it really magnifies that, that spirit in them. And it's pretty clear. So I think athletes uh, are unbiased, but I think they're the best salespeople. Awesome. Now you, the interesting thing is you talked about reps and then you talked about sort of understanding what it, what it means to win. Now, everyone talks about, you know, you got to focus on the, the process, but then there's also focus on winning or, or achieving the goal. How do you balance those two? Like if, so, if someone that's not an athlete that, that has sort of experienced the two, how do you teach both those aspects? Because they're both important. How do you teach someone who's not an athlete? Like, for instance, like we always talk about improving the process, right? Focusing on the process, but then 
outcome's important too. So how do you balance those two competing things where you, because uh, sometimes they go process, 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 but I there's, there's winning and losing there, right? Yeah, that goes hugely into what I call identity. So mm-hmm. I think if identity is who you are, not what you do, like you separate being from doing, right? So mm-hmm. like your tats, who you are is awesome. What you do is differently. And are you, is what you're doing working or not? Not you are working or not, right? So if, if you're so concerned about identity being like your results, right? What happens is you, you forsake the things that are supportive of those results for shorter term gain because you're trying to stay validated in your identity concept. So what I'm big is separating the two and then giving them a standard of objectivity to help them understand their role as it relates to either national benchmarks in sales skills, sales process, examples of what it looks like, what it doesn't look like, and then tying in the winning and losing part with, hey, you're already great, but winning in the marketplace are two different things. I heard uh, Tony Robbins share his first seminar he went to. And the, the quote that he that was taken away that he took the most value from was very important because uh, he shared it. And I was like, wow, that's great. He's like, everybody has value. And it's the same value. Everyone has the same value, except in the marketplace. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so good. Because what we're not saying is you're a winner or not a winner. It's saying you're a winner, but in the marketplace, this is a different arena, right? You got to create value or you don't create value. And it's objective, it's, it's role oriented, not you oriented. So when you have like a culture that like values humans, but then wants to be the best in, in the role, in the arena, you're able to like really enforce those standards. And then you're able to shape outcomes within what the winning and losing looks like. And I think what's fun in entrepreneurs and business owners, they get to define that for themselves. Mm. Like for me, I have a certain revenue number that I want to hit. And I actually, I'm like, this is what I want. And then, but what I found was that I could put double time into getting that and get it. But then what I'm also finding is my family is suffering from my energy, right? And my best energy. So what I'm doing now is I'm adjusting my schedule to work like 40% less hours, Mm -hmm. but still make the same. So it's like, I'm almost doubling my business, so to speak. Right. I'm winning because I've, I've categorized what success is. Does that make sense? I think so. So you're, are you keeping the revenue number or are you reprioritizing things? How does that look? So, so like for me, it's like the revenue number stays the same. Yeah. I'm going to work 40% less hard. Okay. So if I can get that revenue number, but with 60% of what I used to do, that's a win. Okay. And then the next goal is to either add more time or add more revenue is my goal. Okay, so you're basically working on the the strategy, the process to get that efficiency out instead of just putting more time into it. Right, because I define what winning and losing is for me now. Okay. Because because the winning at all costs at the expense of whatever, right? Whether it's family, you look back and you're like, oh, I didn't really win. You know, that was all for what? So for me, I'm very family oriented because it's uh, incredibly challenging to be an entrepreneur and want to be amazing at what you're doing and have a great family. It takes incredible skills of spinning plates, but I think that's what at least I'm going for. So I think having, having said that, that's my answer to helping kind of navigate like process, process. This helps you grow and winning and losing with somebody who hasn't ever experienced that innately and and they're just like used to it. You could, that's kind of how I prepare it. Okay. I like, I like this. 
Okay, so what are some of the things you've done to reduce your time working on the work side and but still maintaining your aggressive goal, like your trajectory towards the goal? What sort of areas were you focusing on improving? Yeah, so there's three areas that I always look to. It's EAD, eliminate, automate, or delegate. Mm. So that's where I've taken, what do I do? I solve problems for a niche, right? Mm -hmm. The vehicle in which I did it used to be go to their office and do a couple of days with them. Okay. Right. So then I said, I need to automate, eliminate or delegate. So I went ahead and automated that with an online course. Mm. Okay. What's the next thing that gets them results? Well, I need to coach them. Well, doing one-on-one was very challenging. So I could do leverage group coaching. So then I, I merged them together and did a coaching calls. So now I automated that and I just eliminated all this travel time and all these one-on-one calls. And then from there I said, well, I need, I need some additional support just in case, like I'm going to take a vacation, the business doesn't stop, people still get, still get support. So I delegated, I hired a, an incredible person who's on my team, John, and he's my guy. He's my number two. So he's there to support, to support the clients to get results on the outcomes that they're desiring, which is what the intent is. Mm-hmm. And then the next problem was I can't get leads unless I go speak at a conference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so that right there was crazy because it took away, it's like three days in a whirlwind for your routine. Yeah. So as much as you get deals like that. So for me, this COVID thing is so powerful because it's actually birthing the thing I wanted to do all along, but I had trouble getting, uh, having the self-control to say no all the time because of uh, all the, Mm. so now I'm doing more webinars, doing more podcasts, working on my sales funnel, working on automating scheduling appointments. Right. And then, all the tracking and automation and, and the follow-up loops and, and things like that. So yeah, so it's really having a system stop process, like being able to think in systems, leveraging technology to automate or having humans and good people that are on your team to delegate to. And also just eliminating, like saying, hey, I just don't do that anymore. Like I don't do on-site trainings anymore. I don't do, I don't speak at events. Like those are things I'm learning to say no to. Somebody said, invited me to speak at a conference and I, I asked, would you, would you, uh, I, I, I couldn't say no. I was like, could you live zoom me in? You know, <laughs> they're like, they're like oh, I think we're going to have enough speakers this year. Thanks. Uh, I'm like, all right. I didn't travel all the way to San Diego or Houston to do something that who knows what it would have looked like. Right. Yeah. So that's how I've been doing it. And as I'm teaching contractors, I teach them the same way of thinking, whether it's uh, lead gen inspection, uh, discovery process, asking the right questions, there's a human element that I'm hugely, I think is very important for all companies to invest in the human side. So if they can train them, their mindset, have the right culture, have the right accountability, they can get a whole lot out of them. But then you also institute some, some automations or just get the, them to eliminate something that's been a distraction. Everything goes up like through the roof, like talking yeah. massive quantum leaps. Sounds good. So give me some examples, like on the contracting side, what, what are some of the things you've sort of eliminated or automated or, or delegated for your clients? I think that some, in some ways, estimating and sales are two very different skill sets and okay. are challenging. So splitting those up could be very valuable. Also project managing. Mm-hmm. So I think that when you have somebody cradle to grave, that could be an incredible model, but it takes a real talented individual to do five to 10 million of that every year. Mm. Yeah. Like that, and you want like one, like you want that as much. You want to be, you want to be a commercial roofer and have a guy sell 10, 15 million. But if they're doing all these other things, you got to like eliminate that. And then 
integration software. So the reduced double entry is huge and forms. So having better forms and leveraging technology as well to really eliminate the need to, well, you can't cold door knocking right now, right? You can't go walk into an industrial plaza and try to speak to the manager. So having really good copy, really good videos, really, and then leveraging Zoom like we're doing right now yeah. to do better consultations of the sales process versus having to drive 45 minutes, go all the way over there. We love to FaceTime and it's very important, but you can get, what can you get? Like if you looked at FaceTime is 100%, you could probably get a decent amount of value, probably 75, 80% of what you would do in person but you can get more volume of it. So you get less effectiveness maybe, but then you have more efficiency. And then as they just get better and better, they end up becoming more efficient than they would if they were face to face. So they're more efficient and, and have better impact because they're more trained and they're more dialed. So there's just a lot that I see there in, in contracting, estimating as well, having good programs that estimate uh, DocuSigns, email proposals with signatures, there's some proposal softwares that you can, it forces you to turn the page to read through it before going to the end. Mm -hmm. If you can't get somebody to, to sit in on a, on a closed call or a next step call or presentation call. I like those quite a bit. Having just good estimation programs that, that pretty much simplify the need to have all this product knowledge. And then another thing too is product knowledge. Mm -hmm. I'm over here teaching people through an online course, sales methodology, branding, sales process, coaching how to run sales meetings, how to do Zoom, how to, how to ask the right questions, how to qualify, all that. So what I'm wanting to do now is getting my contractors, because look, do you think a 23-year-old is going to come in and expect to spend a year like hanging out on the cruise and then hanging out, doing ride-alongs to know the industry? No, that's just not going to happen. So what's got to happen is we have to put all of our processes with product knowledge and the way we, how you do it, how this roofing company does it, how this painting contractor does it, how this manufacturer does it with relation to product knowledge. It needs to be in like an online LMS or training digital playbook. Mm -hmm. Because if we do that, that's the key because, and so when you're not spending time training because all that's documented, you have the right environments, you have the right systems. You could take high quality humans bring them in and get them up to speed much more quickly. And the owners can spend more time on the things that they love to do. And I think some owners would love the business develop and build relationships. I think some owners love to just go fishing and hunting and not be at the <laughs> office very much. I think some owners love to work on getting the estimating chair and help estimate, but they know that they have capacity and time. And when they don't do that, the owner is the, the vehicle to get, the lead to contract to revenue, they have to be in everything. Yeah. So your, you know, your thing is to break up each of the components. You talked about the training sort of knowledge. So what about sort of like different aspects, like lead generation, like different parts of the funnel? Like, do you sort of break those up as well? Like in terms of different people, with different skill sets? That's a good question. I would say there's a couple of major skill sets. One is lead generation and relationship building. So like a business development executive or a business development rep. Mm -hmm. So they could be digitally, virtually outbound and generate appointments and then involve a sales professional, aka estimator, executive, if you want to call it what you want. I like that. 
I think salespeople who should, they should only be selling if they know how to generate a lead and build a relationship themselves and close it. So I'm more saying you should hire lead gen reps if your account execs are closing and they just are closing and their current accounts that they're developing and expanding on are working so well that they don't have time to prospect because they're just building on their network. That's when it's time to say, okay, this is breaking or this part of the funnel is lacking. So let's, let's do that. Right. So that could be done through ads and marketing that could be mm-hmm. done through a business development rep to prospect. You decide the vehicle depends on your philosophy. I like, I like relationships in the market. I think that creates a higher closing rate, shorter sales cycle, and people can keep their margins because they invest more in the front end and the relationship side. At least I've seen that work very well for the contracting space that wants to be a local brand. So, and then you have a sales process being conducted that can be done with somebody who can estimate themselves and do their own inspection takeoff where they delegate that part. I find that the, the larger deal sizes that are more complicated typically is designated. It's, it makes sense to designate and to break it up because the, the estimation process is very technical and the sales process is very highly skilled. And most of the time, people at the level that they want to get to can't can't do both wonderfully. They're usually very good at giving great free consulting and how to price something and how the system to use or the salesperson asks all the right questions and builds a relationship and qualifies it, but they can't, they can't estimate it. Or if they did, they would give the thing away to, to make sure they get the deal and they wouldn't make any money on it. Right. So those are the main ones I'd say. Yeah. What about people like maybe not as much uh, contractors because it's kind of a bit more regionalized, opening up new areas of business or growing it, but maybe they're not the people to sort of maintain it. How would that work? Like someone rolls in, the, the, what's the motivation for them to develop it and then for someone to come in behind and manage it? Like how would that relationship work? Can you be a little bit more specific? Yeah, I mean, let's say there's one, we ha- you have one type of salesperson that's really good at opening the door, getting the relationship going, getting the initial sales going, but maybe they're not the ones to manage it for the next five years yeah that's like a, like a hunter like a hunter versus a like a, a account manager farmer sure model. sure How, how'd that work yeah i think it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish right but like to break into a brand new market takes a little bit more muscle and probably a little bit more strength than somebody who's just trying to penetrate more in an existing market because there's less relationships to work off of but yeah we actually my company, we, we evaluate every, every sales rep that's a part of the program and measure them against a national, international benchmark of sales ability and then puts them in like percentiles and, mm-hmm. and breaks up all their competencies into different categories. So you could find somebody could just be terrible at hunting, but they're good at relationship building or good at account management. And so, uh, but not every company has, has the capacity for that, right? Like somebody just got to wear all those hats until they have enough accounts. So. We, we want to cover, make sure we, there's the no stone left on turn as it relates to giving a company the tools and the steps and the coaching to do that. If they're working with me, for example, but I think they need, an owner needs to have all those bases covered. They need to have all those bases covered because if they have a train training process that covers those, they can take somebody who has some desire and commitment and learn all of those until there's enough volume and demand to, to break that up and to get more specialized. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So you start to talk about sort of benchmarks and stuff like that. Give me an example of what categories 
this benchmark would assess or what sort of th- outcomes would, would come out of that benchmarking system? Yeah, so there could be one that would cover the entire individual that rolls up their entire sales competencies. Like, for example, it could be in the weak category, serviceable, strong, or elite. And that would be comprised of 21 core competencies. So like desire and commitment for sales success, that's huge. Their figure it out factor, how much responsibility do they take of their sales results? Do they blame competition, their company or the economy? Also, those are all in, in the mindset. And we go a little deeper into some things called like sales DNA. So like need for approval mm-hmm. is a big one. If they have a high need for approval, they need to be liked. They're not going to ask great, good, tough questions like a consultative seller or a qualifier would. So you have need for approval, overcoming or controlling emotions, not getting too excited and what I call happy ears. When a lead comes in, you get all excited, you skip questions, and then you find out after you get the proposal, the thinking it over, and you didn't get to the decision maker after all, and things like that. So what we want to do is address things like that, like comfort discussing money, how they buy is how they'll sell. Mm-hmm. They price everything out, and they go for the cheapest price, and they take their time to make decisions and take action. They're going to empathize with a prospect who does the same thing with them, right? They're going to be like, oh, I totally do the same thing. So that's not good for sales to accept put offs and, and, and go lower on your price and not sell value. So we address the mental side to unlock mm-hmm. those limiting beliefs and then really try to upgrade those first. And then we want the other sales outcomes to flourish like hunting, relationship building, consultative selling, selling value, qualifying, CRM savvy, closing, presentation approach account management, negotiation, those bring incredible, those outcomes when strong, you're going to make a lot of money. Mm. But with the sales DNA, yeah, those are, if those are weak. Those outcomes will never be supported. They can't do it. Like somebody has a high need for approval. They cannot sell like very well. They're just going to be a, a price quoter. They're just going to quote and bid all day because they don't, they're, they're too worried about, offending somebody to get deeper and ask them like how it's impacting them and asking them questions that are a little awkward. So what I do is I try to help them understand based on those benchmarks of those competencies, what's holding them back or supporting their ability to be great. Mm-hmm. We open that up, then we can get all up in their, their mind and in their team and then start to set the bar higher. That creates more of the, like the, the, the processor is stronger, right? So now the, the, the apps they want to run can be run really easily, like selling consultatively, hunting, building relationships, qualifying, things like that. And then we introduce sales process. So that way the sales process is able to be executed because we've addressed the the limiting beliefs first. That makes a lot of sense. Now, out of all those, I could probably ask you about all of those, but let's just pick one out. Selling value. I think that's one of the things that people struggle with. How do you get someone that's sort of struggling with that concept? They're wanting to discount to sort of really understand that process? Good question. I think the, I think that when somebody's struggling to sell value, what we need to do is a couple things. We need to help them. We need to help them see that what they think is a lot of money isn't a lot of money. Like after all, like, so we need to kind of help them see what a lot of money is. Maybe they grew up and their parents never really made a lot of money. So a hundred thousand is a lot of money. So any ticket size, that's more than like 15 grand. They start to think is expensive. Right. So when we first off address what that money ceiling is, 
that's huge. And then we want to lift it much higher. And then what we do is we, we help them to see the consequence of their end user spending less money with the competition and how that's going to cost them more money and more frustration down the line, right? Whether it's they missed the uh, cut corners, change orders that are unexpected, change orders are coming up or having to do it over again, a safety problem that impacted and cost them a lot of money. So what we want to do is we want to train somebody as a sales professional, what the cost is going to be as the alternative of them spending a little bit more with you. When that's the case, they realize that they're actually saving them money by spending more upfront and doing it right this time. So you got to do a little bit of like peeling back and then like mapping it out. And then once it's mapped out, it's very powerful. And then they're like, ah, yeah, it sounds expensive, but they're able to create value even before they present price because, because we've created some what I call polarity with a low bid scenario or, going, or cutting corners that would reduce it results in a cheaper cost to do it. Yeah. So those are two different conversations. So when we train somebody on that, it's very powerful. Okay, very cool. You touched on CRM. They talk about CRM adoption, right? Getting people to buy in, getting people to use it. What are, what are some of the uh, things that, that happen there? If the CRM is not the source of truth of the data, and the, then it's not going to be used. If the company doesn't care about the data, then it's not going to be used. So you need a leader who cares about the growth. That's why I'm big on like leadership first. Like, where are we going? Why are we going there? What's going there look like? What is the goal, right? So, and then we'll realize that the data is going to be indicators and predictors of us achieving that goal. It becomes relevant information. And then therefore using it within a meeting for accountability purposes is everything. And then I think that just having a no tolerance policy is big. I do think it's frustrating though for me when there's owners with a no tolerance policy who have a really bad system. <laughs> it's a challenge. I'm like, all right, man, I get it, but this is super hard. But it's really painful to uninstall install a new CRM. I get it. So, so they have a bad system. You mean like a bad CRM system or just like a, a cumbersome, like a cumbersome CRM that's just like clunky and takes a lot of work. There's like there's no integration. It's it's double entry and on a lot of ways. So. It takes a pretty proficient user of technology to get through all of that swiftly. But anyhow, I think adoption needs to be combined with data as a source of truth for solid like information that you actually care about. Yeah. So that's why I started this to do coaching because I, I noticed that the roofing company that I worked with cared about the results because of this growth-minded entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. So, but, so he would do all these other things to make to support the CRM usage. <laughs> but like, like what, what was he doing? Well, no, just like he ran sales meetings and used the CRM. There uh -huh. was accountability. There was goals. Yeah. Like they cared. Then I would go in to a company, show them the system. They would buy the system, but they wouldn't use it because, because the, the reliance on the information wasn't there. They were good guys or girls, but they didn't have a real solid sales vision and sales plan. They didn't have a sales, a sales process. They didn't have a structure and a culture of, of performance yet. So we had to kind of, so I started doing that like seven years ago mm -hmm. to help the companies. And that's where the whole consulting started. I was like, dude, these guys don't even mm -hmm. have a sales culture at all. Like no wonder you're crushing everybody in your market. <laughs> so he was like, I know. I'm like, I want to teach people this. He goes, okay, let's charge for it. I'm like, you betcha. <laughs> So we charge for it. <laughs> That's how it goes, right? 
Yeah. When you start something. Now you said a culture of performance. What does that look like inside one of these organizations? Like it just means like being on people with their targets. What does it feel like? What what are the things that you'd see? Yeah, you should see you should see goals defined. You should see daily activity measured. And if you look at sports, right? This is the only thing that I mean, I go back to it. If you're playing at a higher level and high mm-hmm. performing sports, the scoreboard is up, right? You're up, you're either winning or losing, your your stats or your batting average or your ERA is either leading the team or it's not, and then it's leading a league or it's not. Like I've created a feature in my in my environment now where I have a player rankings based on badge accumulation on their journey as a sales professional or a sales leader. Because I know how powerful it was to know, am I doing any good? I may be the best of my team, but what about the rest of the industry? Am I decent? That's why the top 100 in roofing contractors mm-hmm. is such a hit. Mm-hmm. The top 500 is such a hit. Because people who are competitors, how do they know if they're good? Mm-hmm. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that. It's not like I need my ego stroke. It's just like, man, I'm putting a lot of work in here. Yeah. I want to know. I want to yeah. know how we're doing. Yeah, yeah. So when you have something that's even to the extent of like outside of your industry, outside of your your company and in a different environment. That's why the best companies are in Vistage groups and mastermind groups because they get a perspective and a lens that yeah. they never would have in their own business because they're just in their own world. So you take that and then you, you boil it down to a sales environment and then you shape a culture that supports winning and you could call it punishment or just doesn't celebrate losing, right? We could celebrate winning or and learning. Yeah. But we're not like, just like, okay with losing. It's just not okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you said the scoreboard is up. So is the scoreboard up in a way that everyone can see what everyone else is doing in the sales department? Is that what you're thinking or, or just other metrics? More transparency, the better. Okay, perfect. Let's see what else. Processes, great scalable repeated processes. What are the, what are the common themes? I think you touched on some of those already. What, are, what else uh, comes to mind when you talk about scalable and repeatable processes? Yeah. I mean, first off is the, the sales process that's conducted by the human. Like that's, that's everything. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, you're, you're going to jump in and be a, a bid shop. You're just going to go price as much as you can. Mm-hmm. If you have a sales process that supports the outcomes we want, like selling value and selling, get to the decision maker and selling consultatively and not just being a bidder, that's going to create higher closing rates, right? Shorter selling cycles. It's going to create better relationships, going to be like value in the marketplace. So I think that's the biggest one is just having a sales process that supports that. Mm-hmm. I have that. You should find somebody who hire, you know, who has one that matches your philosophy if you don't have one. Because when you have you as the owner or the sales leader or the executive fulfilling a good sales process, you're just going to get that much better. Yeah. And then when somebody else needs to be rely, we need to rely on someone else to close the deal. And you have that much more skill and more familiarity with a good sales process and you're better. Now you're able to impose those beliefs with a lot more authority and coach more effectively with somebody new. Yeah. How rigid is those uh, processes do you think need to be? I mean, do you script everything out or, or is it based on if you're doing good with what you're doing, we leave it. And if you're kind of following along or is everyone sort of doing the same thing? I think I want a sales athlete, not a sales robot. Like if it's a robot, it should be a robot. Like robots are robots. Like for example, need forms and questionnaires are robots. Yeah. Let the robot do what the robot does. I love robots. I'm all about the system. 
But when a human's involved, they need to be a sales human, a sales athlete that's kinetic and knows where they are and makes decisions in the moment because humans bring a ton of value. Humans yeah. are great. I love people. People are beautiful. It's, we're in a people business at the end of the day in our business and our prospects and our marketplace. So we don't take away the humans. So what I don't like to do is give scripts. I was at the bank the other day. Mm -hmm. I was talking to the associate and mm -hmm. I was looking at getting a line of credit just, just because I have been in business long enough. It's nice to have it just to be safe, not just function only on cash. I want to have that just in case I want to do some major growth initiatives, whatever. I'm just preparing myself. And it's interesting. I told him a few different times about my like situation with my team members, whether they're W2 or 1099, some of my targets. And it's funny, he was looking at his computer and he still asked me multiple questions that I already <laughs> given him the information. <laughs> he had to go back and forth and look at the computer, make sure he asked the right question because he has to follow the process. And it's so bummer because... Because like I'm over here working at a bank and they have so much daggum money from all the, all of the, all the spreads they make on these mortgages. I'm like, <laughs> and, and they can't create connection and actually show that they are paying attention and care because they're worried all about the, the rigidness of the process. So I think that if a robot's a robot, make that thing the best robot in the world. But if a human needs to, they need to, they need to know why those milestones are there first so that. Like if somebody knows why that is there, they're going to naturally be able to hit those milestones that are defined because they know why. Because most people don't like to be, we're not slaves here, right? We're not like, mm -hmm. you must do this. Like we're <laughs> in the world. So people, I'm all about empowerment and freedom. So if they're free to be themselves, but they know why, then they're bought in and they're connected to that mm -hmm. why. Now they're like, they're dangerous yeah. because they navigate the sales process wonderfully but so I'm all about milestone centric sales processes versus sales scripts, uh, unless it is unless because I can script something and that's the best question in the world. But using the wrong time, you look like you don't you're not in the game, right? You don't seem relevant and they still, they don't trust you. I will say, though, that prospecting scripts are very powerful when you're like sending a video message, leaving a voicemail. Things like that, those are big. But as soon as we get into like interaction, like actual on the phone or face to face, it's all about the milestones. And that's where the why and the mindset could either support or sabotage that completely. Makes sense. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I, I've, I've learned a ton today. So I just think that we're in a fun time. This industry is amazing, it'll never, ever leave, it's never gonna go away ever. There's always going to be a building to be built or replaced or restored or repaired. So I, as a sales professional, I know what I'm teaching can go other industries, but I'm like, I just want to stay here because mm -hmm. it's never going away. It's a lot of fun. There's so much talent in the industry right now. Like, like my mentor, he's a rock star. <laughs> let me tell you, like the ones that are like my age and even younger, they're like thirties late 20s who are getting in the game they are dangerous because they're so tech savvy they're entrepreneurial they see an opening and i just don't think the traditional mom and pops that don't really have to know business are going to last give it 20 more years and i don't think they'll be able to even survive anymore i think it's going to have to be like people who know business and happen to do roofing happen to do this they happen to do that i'd say give it 20 maybe longer but 
I'm 33 right now. When I'm 53, this whole landscape will be entirely different because of accessibility of information and for someone to come in and take, take it. So for me, like I, I know what I do is bring a lot of value, but if I'm committed to this niche, I'm able to stay out in front of the, of the more innovative technologies and processes and adopting and helping my customers adopt those so that they could stay in front. But I'd never be able to do that if I was relying on one-on-one face-to-face coaching all the time, right? I'd be still saying the same thing and not being able to get those fundamental best practices that help their business go from here to here. I wouldn't be able to help them consume that at a scale that I want. So I would say that this industry is growing. It's going fast. Learn how to be a business person first and a contractor second. That if you can be a sales and marketing organization, you will survive. But if you're a contractor who doesn't know how to do that, you won't survive. You'll be working for somebody else, right? You'll be, you'll be the foreman. You'll be the guy who started his own company, never learned business, basically. Couldn't get through the difficult times. And, but you know a bunch about roofing. So now you're going to go work for some like 35-year-old, just total rock star entrepreneur <laughs> who is, has you dumping all of your information into their LMS so that they can train their future hires with your knowledge. See what I'm saying? Yeah. Like this industry is moving fast. So it's time to get help, time to get sharp, time to stay out in front. And that's just what I'm seeing. And I feel like I'm in the middle of it. Like I saw some of the old, like OGs, like, you know, the original gangsters, right? They're like, they made the industry, but there's a whole, (laughs) they paved the way for this next one that's going to another level. Yeah, for sure. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. I definitely learned a lot and uh, appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.